hallway and in engagement with adults and other students, right? When Adrian didn't feel seen, Adrian did behaviors to still be seen, but not in ways that were deemed adaptive or positive or more seemingly acceptable. So we led with Adrian, the need for Adrian to be seen, and, and then slowly started to build supports around that. Welcome to the Innocent Classroom Podcast. Before I introduce our guest, I'm excited to announce the publication of our president and CEO, Alex Pate's first children's book, Being You. Being You is a beautiful picture book celebrating every reader's individuality and talents. With an authentic voice, Being You's poetic message of love and optimism for the future speaks directly to today's children. Find it online at Amazon or Barnes & Noble And join us on Saturday, October 6th at the Red Balloon Bookshop in St. Paul, Minnesota at 10.30 a.m. until noon. We're going to celebrate the launch of this book, and Alex will do a reading as well as signed books. We hope to see you there. Now on to this episode. Today's guest is Christina Haddad Gonzalez, Director of Student Support Services at Richfield Public Schools in Minnesota. Christina shares with us how Richfield Public Schools integrates Innocent Classroom into its culture, from working with and supporting educators to engaging in individual students' good. I am excited to share with you all our guest today, Christina Haddad-Gonzalez from Richfield Public Schools. Um, I'll let you tell us a little bit about you, Christina. Thanks so much, BC. I'm really excited to be here with you and to talk about my experiences within Richfield Public Schools and our work with Innocent Classroom. At Richfield Public Schools, I'm the Director of Student Support Services, and it's a role that supports and provides oversight to our school social workers, our school counselors, our outreach workers. I also oversee our community partnerships. We have a free clinic that was opened and I provide oversight too. I'm also responsible in co-facilitating the build out of social emotional learning supports for all students within the district, which is actually a key focus for this school year. So it sounds to me like you don't do much work directly with students. Correct. I once in a while have the honor of engaging with students. Mostly I provide support and oversight to the folks that are on the ground engaging our students. Wonderful. And so that I think is going to be the focus of our conversation today is how do you engage with the folks who are on site? How do we collaborate and work together to utilize Innocent Classroom as a practice in our environments. So um, I'm excited to talk with you. I would love to talk more about that collaboration. Let's talk about how you use Innocent Classroom um, in your work and collaborating with those who are working directly with students. Great. Um, So I remember years ago being in a training and hearing that folks in middle middle management positions, that's me, Uh, in order to really have ideas embedded with fidelity that we need to practice obsessive communication. So when I think about the how, I think about how I work to obsessively communicate about concepts related to innocent classroom. 
um, because I believe in innocent classroom, I had the experience of learning about it at a previous position in our work with Minneapolis public schools. And so when I learned that we'd be partnering with innocent classroom as a modality of reflection for staff and application to student engagement, I was really jazzed. So the how is really embedding it obsessively and becoming a champion of talking about innocent classroom in staff meetings. So learning about each individual staff's good through their eyes and through my own observation. And then secondarily, however most importantly, working to become fluent about identifying the good of each of the students that we process, discuss, and consult on with a key focus on our students of color and our students that aren't succeeding and achieving at levels that we know that they can, Mm -hmm. that we know that they can. So I'm going to ask you about both of those things. Mm -hmm. What do you do to learn your individual staff's goods? Like, what do you, how do you apply it in that setting? Yeah, I actually got chills when you asked that. Um, I remember years and years ago, a old supervisor told me that relationships are the work. So with new staff, we just onboarded seven student engagement specialists who are some really remarkable humans. And we led with what their good is. So we do a really brief overview of what innocent classroom is. We describe good as the thing for which all other things are done. And then we do a series of dialogues and activities from what's who's your favorite superhero and why. Um, what do you value most? What frustrates you most? All of these based out of that good interview. And we work collaboratively and collectively to using the good wheel to identify, even if it's a tentative guess at what each person's good is. And that's an iterative process too. So we start all staff meetings with folks having their name tags saying their name and then their good underneath and their check-in is my good is or my good was because they might have changed what their good was. And we use that as a foundation for understanding each staff's unique learning, their needs, and informs how they then engage with students. Um, So that's how we do it from the staff lens. Mm -hmm. Uh, My good has consistently been safe. And so I talk about why that is and what that means for me through modeling And then I encourage staff who have done their work of identifying their good over a period of time to model that for newer staff coming in and in either new roles or or newly introduced to a meeting. How do you support them in finding a a child's good? Well, and again, I, I talk a lot about how it's not about walking up to a child and saying, why do you do what you do? Um, that it's a process of uncovering and discovering and interactions with students and interaction with the students themselves and interactions with other adults, be it their parents, teachers and other helpers in the school setting and making some tentative guests guesses at what a student's good is. Um, we I oversee a process that is called our behavior collaboration team. And this is a team of individuals that are pulled together on an as needed basis when a student's needs, current needs in a special ed setting may have changed and teachers are wanting insight and input about how to support that child mm-hmm. and or having a conversation about changing the level of that child setting in special education. More times than not, 
we come together because the students' needs have increased, that they're experiencing more frustration, more challenges, attending and being successful in their current setting. And so we come together to identify interventions and strategies and sometimes move into a conversation about maybe this student would benefit from a more restricted setting or a self-contained setting. Mm -hmm. And when I took over this process in collaboration with one of our school psychologists, we made a decision to start every BCT meeting, every, every behavior collaboration team meeting with talking about our own good as staff at the table and then having a conversation about that student's good. Has that impacted how the educators then talk about their students? I mean, because it would, it would just... I mean, it seems like it's a different lens that they have on oh. when they've talked about their own good and mm-hmm. then talk about that child's good. So I think, yes, it definitely has. And I think the power BC is in how innocent classroom humanizes. It humanizes the adults and it humanizes the child. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, again, another set of chills because I think we as adults can get stuck. And I'll say in my own personal experience and in my observations across the settings I've worked, we can get really good at awfulizing the problem and just admiring it at great lengths. And when we lead with what's working Mm -hmm. and why a student does what a student does in, in a way of context and support and survival, it definitely then opens up this opportunity to talk about strengths and protective factors and we also then get to tell us what's been happening and how does what's been happening give us information about if we've been seeing this student through the lens of his or her or their good yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you see them in a completely different light right on Yeah, yeah totally yep and 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 can then like you're saying, rethink, okay, am I giving them what they're truly asking for? What <laughs> right, they need? right. And, and it's not that I was doing what I was doing before was wrong. Right. Or was necessarily hurting them mm-hmm. or intentionally hurting him. I've just learned more now. That's right. You know, when you know better, you do better. That's right. Yeah. We talk a lot about how we aren't here to shoot on each other. No yep. shooting on each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have this new information through this collective shared lens. Um, this kiddo might be challenging for us and we're going to find a way to see this student through a lens of good and support the yeah. student through that which for all other things are done. So I have to mention what I'm hearing though is like this is not this is a process that you use with children, right? Like we use everybody uses innocent classroom mm-hmm. within their classroom. Like when we when you're taught it, when you learn it, you use it with your classroom. And you all are using it not just with the classroom, but also with your staff mm-hmm. in a way. Yes. And also in the beginning there, when we started talking about how you use um, class, innocent classroom um, and you start by learning the individual staff's good. What I'm hearing is like there's this relationship building piece on that end mm-hmm. that that's where you start. Mm-hmm. Right. You start with that relationship. You start building it that relationship with them and helping them see their good and find their and you're finding their good and they're putting it on their sticker and changing it if they need to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then repeating that process and so the humanity is, spe- is spread yeah it just spreads it becomes a virus right and that's just what you do that's right yeah that's really beautiful thanks i think and it's exciting. really special yeah so 
you've been using Innocent Classroom with your behavior collaboration teams. You've been using it in your just work in how you um, work with the adults that you work with and help them work with the students that they work with. Could you tell us a story about any successes Mm -hmm. or challenges or opportunities that you've had along the way? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to talk about a student. I'm going to give this student a pseudonym to respect this student's confidentiality. We'll call this student Adrian. Adrian's female. Adrian is a student of color. She's black. She is one of our middle school students. And um, Adrian was the talk of the, of the school, I would say. Not even just like the talk of a classroom, but Adrian had a big, bright, personality and when Adrian didn't want to be in class Adrian was not in class and Adrian had a tendency to roam the halls and get pretty big quick had lots of conflict with peers and many adults and Adrian was receiving supports from staff and we came together to talk about Adrian over many meetings last spring and pretty the folks in the room felt pretty convicted that they weren't sure if Adrian would be able to be successful in a mainstream setting. Mm-hmm. Mainstream being, of course, a setting that's general education or minimal special education supports. We knew right then in the spring that we needed to start talking about what Adrian's good was. And we did an exercise as a team. I remember this pretty vividly. I was on a conference call. I wasn't able to be present. And the consensus, the quickness with which the entire team was able to say, oh, Adrian's good is seen. That's it. Adrian's good is seen. And when even we think about how I just described how Adrian existed in the world, yeah. right? Um, in the hallway and in engagement with adults and other students, right? When Adrian didn't feel seen, Adrian did behaviors to still be seen, but not in ways that were deemed adaptive or positive or more seemingly acceptable. So uh, we led with Adrian, the need for Adrian to be seen and, and then slowly started to build supports around that. So who did see her? Who did she seem to be feel she was seen by? Um, We had lots of emails and conversations about what summer looked like and were very intentional about what summer programming would look like, being that Adrian received some additional supports in our district. Adrian was eligible for summer school. We'll just call that summer school and talked a lot about what Adrian would need in the Mm -hmm. summer in way of adult connection, structured support through a lens of being seen. And we had our follow-up meeting just yesterday about Adrian. I was pretty sure that we were going to have a follow-up conversation about, "Mm, don't know if mainstream is going to continue to work. Adrian was very successful this summer. She was supported by a known adult and some new adults, was successful both academically and socially, and her attendance and her ability to stay consistent was high in the summer. We've now had two weeks of school. Adrian has a very close connection with one of her adult helpers in her programming. She is getting a little bit more support from the adults in the classroom and has stayed in class 
has a number of minutes that if she reaches, there will be some consequences outside of the classroom. In the 12 days of school we've had, she's only reached that threshold of minutes once and was very reflective around, I don't want to do that again. I want to stay in class. And I actually, by chance, was walking with our assistant principal. And again, remember, Adrian's good is to be seen. I saw Adrian at our open house for the school as I walked with the assistant principal. And there Adrian was with her caregiver and saw me and the assistant principal, who she's quite connected to, gave each other a high five. And I learned yesterday that Adrian then asked to meet with our assistant principal to let him know that she was going to have a good year, that she was going to be successful. And she informed him of her plan. And so yesterday, as we led our meeting with, again, Adrian's good being seen, we talked about how our assistant principal can transfer that knowledge and that experience to the other helpers in her school experience. And the plan is that the assistant principal will mark all of the good things that have happened both with Adrian and then because her good is to be seen he will then mark that with the other adults in her life saying check this out this is all that Adrian's done since school started so we continue to see her validate her and hold up her strengths and continue to positively predict that Adrian's going to continue to soar in the academic setting. That is amazing. She is being seen in so many ways and it's <laughs> transforming her relationship to academics. Right. Obviously, she's a smart girl. Brilliant. And that has never been a question. Highly competent, highly, highly intelligent. But now everybody gets to see it, mm-hmm. which just validates her even more right and on. helps yep. her feel like her good is being met. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't it great? Those That's educators amazing. in her life are 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 quite phenomenal. So shout out to those folks. They know who they are. That's wonderful. I have one more question for you. One of the things I love to hear is just how and how educators, leaders think about innocence. So my question for you is, what is the significance of innocence to you? So on a personal level, as a an Arab American woman married to a Mexican immigrant raising little Arab Arab Mexicans, I think innocence is how you feel at home. I think innocence is how you feel in the space that feels most safe to you and getting to watch folks that I love, my husband, my kids flourish in that experience because their lived experience outside of that has not always been one that holds up their innocence, which is that absence of guilt, that experience of being held in all of our imperfect perfection. So for me, innocence is, yeah, this stuff has happened and yeah, there's some darkness and yeah, we've made some not so great decisions and you are still valuable and worthy and safe and seen and loved. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Christina, for joining us. And I appreciate all that you shared with us and look forward to continuing to work with you as I UBC. Thanks for listening. To get reminders, tips, and information about Innocent Classroom events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We also want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions, successes, and challenges. So please reach out to me at adebisi at innocenttech.com. That's A-D-E-B-I-S-I at innocenttech.com. 
As you continue to practice and integrate Innocent Classroom into your school culture and embed its ideas with fidelity, practice obsessive communication about Innocent Classroom. It will take your implementation to the next level. And of course, as always, continue to build stronger relationships, uncover their brilliance, and free your children to achieve.